0: And you know, as I was getting ready, just kind of finishing up, preparing for tonight, um, I felt very impressed that before we got into this, we needed just to make sure we get something straight. Uh, There is going to be a day each and every one of us are going to stand before God. And I don't know exactly what he's going to say, but I think he's going to say something along the lines of, why should I let you into heaven? And gentlemen, it's what we do with Jesus here on earth that will determine what we say to him when we get there. I think the scariest words a person could ever hear is, depart from me, I never knew you. The Bible is clear that we can know for sure that when we die, we'll spend an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven forever and ever. These men all had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and they lived passionately for the Lord. And I'm thankful for that, but I can't help but think, in a room this size, statistics would tell us that not every man sitting around these tables and somewhere in this room are saved. And so I just want to say to you just a couple of things really quick. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. All. That's you and me and everybody that's ever lived and everybody that's living now and everybody that's ever going to live will sin. And the Bible's very clear three chapters later in Romans chapter six, verse 23, that the payment for our sins is death. That's a separation from God forever and ever. That's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death. That our sin separates us from God and there is no way that you and I can bridge that gap from us to him because we've made a great divide and there's no possible way to get to him. And that's why... Some and many think the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3.16, that everybody knows, and sports guys write it on their face and everything else. But it's so true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word perish is very similar to that word death. For the wages of sin is death. What he's saying in John 3.16 is you don't have to experience that death. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid that death for us. He paid that debt that you and I couldn't pay so that you and I don't have to pay for it. And he bled and he died on that cross and he rose again three days later to defeat sin, to defeat hell, to defeat the devil. And he offers the free gift of salvation to anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. You've heard our pastor say this. If you've been here three weeks, you've heard him say it at least three times. <laughs> if you've been here a 1,000 weeks, you've heard him say it at least a 1,000 times. What do you do? You've got to repent of your sins. That means to turn your back. I'm walking that way, and I say, I don't want that. You make a 180-degree turn. And you say, I don't want that lifestyle anymore. So you repent, and then you believe. Believe that Jesus died, and he rose from the dead. He tells us in Romans, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised his son from the dead and you will be saved. My favorite word in the entire New Testament is right there in that verse, the word will. If you confess and believe, you will be saved. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank. It doesn't matter what our occupation is. It doesn't matter how young or old we are. If you confess and believe, you will be saved. So we repent of our sins, we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save us, and then we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We say, Lord, we can't do this, and we want to receive you into our lives. And he promises us that if we will do that, he will enter into our lives. But here's the reality. You can know this all you want, but until it is a reality in your life, you will spend an eternity separated from God forever and ever. And so I want to just ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I just want you just to to, to search your own heart. I don't know if you're saved. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. I could guesstimate, but that's not my job. My job is just to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and then let the Holy Spirit do the work he will do. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to ask yourself, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Not has there been a time in my life where I I, I may have thought about it or not even has there been a time in my life where I've been baptized, but have I received Jesus Christ into my life as my personal Lord and Savior? I want you to answer that question in your own mind and heart. Yes, I know you as Lord, or you may answer the question with, I know mentally that he's God, but I've never received him into my life. And I want to say to you, this is not a scare tactic. This is not a, you've got to do this right now or else. This is just reality. We do not know what tomorrow will hold. Those guys that got in that plane did not know what was going to happen. And you don't know what's going to happen either. And I would plead with you to spend some time with Jesus and just say, am I a believer? Has Jesus Christ come into my life and saved me and changed me? And guys, if, if, if there's never been a moment for you where you've totally surrendered your life, you said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you. That I want you just right where you are. You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to come up here. I want you just right there. I just want you to just, just cry out to the Lord. Lord, I don't know you as my personal Lord and Savior. You say it however you want to. Lord, I... I know that I have sin in my life. I know that I've sinned, and I want to repent of that. I don't want that lifestyle anymore. And Lord, I believe. I believe that you're Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You bled and died on the cross, and you rose from the dead for me. And so, Lord, I I believe that, and I receive you into my life. I just want to encourage you right now, if you've never done that, to cry out to the Lord, just from your heart to his heart, and the beautiful thing is, he says he will save you. God, I pray your blessings on these men. Maybe, just maybe, there's a guy in here, or a few guys in here that that prayed that. Maybe, maybe not. But Lord, maybe right now you're just you're, you're working on somebody. The Holy Spirit's convicting. The Holy Spirit's just drawing someone to to uh, Himself. Lord God, I pray you're drawing these guys to Yourself. And Lord, if there is anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray they will not leave this room without talking to somebody and giving their life to Christ. Bless these men tonight as we talk. And Lord, we thank you that you love us and you died to save us. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Guys, we're going to jump into this, but if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you want to talk to somebody, myself, and no, will be at the back at the end, and we would love the opportunity to have a conversation with you about that. Well, continue to pray, but we're going to jump into this study now, and uh, we're going to see what the Lord would have for us tonight. All right, here's a question I want you to talk about around the table. We'll just take a few minutes to talk about it. But the question is, what keeps a person from not totally forgiving someone else or themselves when wronged? Now, I don't know about you sometimes it's hard to forgive yourself. Sometimes it's hard to forgive someone else. But what makes that so difficult? What what keeps a person from actually doing that? Uh, The answer could be pride. The answer could be, I just want to sweep it under the rug and move on. I don't know what it is. But let's take a couple minutes around the table, talk about what keeps us from doing that, and then we'll come back in just a moment. All right, guys. I would imagine there was some things talked about, things that keep us from, from for, for forgiving someone else or maybe forgiving ourselves. Um, I've shared with some of you that I, I was uh, uh, taking some medicine for my back about a year ago, and it, was, it really messed with me emotionally and mentally. And uh, I, just, I wasn't the kindest person to my wife, I'm just going to be honest with you. And it went on for a couple months until we realized what was going on. We thought it was a spiritual warfare, we thought it was an attack from the <clears throat> devil, and it was. But it was kind of this medicine, and uh, so I got off of that, and, um, and uh, immediately she said, you're a completely different person. I said, I, I hope that's a good thing. And she said, yes, I've been waiting for you to come back. And uh, I, I asked her about a week later, I said, can you forgive me? And she said, you've already been forgiven. But I'll be honest with you, for a couple of weeks, I really struggled just thinking about how I had treated her, and, just, and, and nothing bad, majorly bad, but just, just not kind. And it took me a little while to actually forgive, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, it was my pride. Because my pride said you were too good to be able to do that, and God had to remind me: there's nothing good in you, buddy, except for me. And it really, I mean, it kind of squashed me a little bit. And sometimes we need squashing. Sometimes we need to be reminded we're not anything without Him. And it wasn't until that moment where I came to realization, and I, I actually forgave myself. I'll be honest. It was just a sweet moment with the Lord. You know, As I was thinking through forgiveness, uh, <clears throat> we're going to go to the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45. We're going to look at the first eight verses. You know the story pretty well, or most of you probably do, but let me just refresh your memory if you don't. Uh, Joseph was one of many brothers, and uh, he was really the favorite of the father. The father showed him favoritism. He didn't have to work as hard as the others. They're out in the field working hard, and he's kind of around dad a lot, and dad gives him this big colorful robe and sends him out there, and the brothers are very jealous of him, and they see him coming from afar off, and they really just didn't like him. And Joseph had some things in his own life that he was going to have to deal with, to be honest with you. There was some pride and some things he had to work through, but... But uh, the Lord was still going to use him mightily. And so the the brothers end up throwing him in a pit and saying, let's kill him. And one of the brothers talk him out of it. Well, they end up selling him into slavery. Uh, Can you imagine taking your blood brother and selling them into slavery? And so he ends up in Egypt... And what ends up happening is he ends up going and getting kind of high up in this house, getting in some trouble, and he didn't do anything, but he gets thrown in prison. He ends up getting kind of high up in the prison, and finally he gets before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, this guy's wise. And so Pharaoh puts him second in command. And the Lord had given some dreams, and he interpreted them, and he said, listen, a plague is coming, a famine is coming, and we got to get ready. And so he begins to put together, I mean, he was just wise, He was wise beyond his years. He had the anointing of the Lord to be able to understand what to do. And so they began saving and putting food back and preparing for this famine. And so God ends up using them to save many, 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 many people. But a group of those people that were end up saved by this is Joseph's brothers. They're hungry and so they go to to, to Egypt to get food and they're going to go before the brother and they're going to beg him for food of course, Joseph's all dressed up. I don't know exactly what he looked like, but they don't recognize him. Now, it's been a long time, and also, they've pretty much thought for a long time, he's probably dead, you know, because who knows if he's made it through this slavery. And so Joseph knows who they are, and there comes a moment where Joseph just can't handle it anymore. He has to send everybody out, and he has to reveal himself to them. Now, I just wonder for a moment how many times Joseph had actually played this through in his mind. Like, how's this going to go, you know? Are they going to run away in fear? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to be scared? You know, what's it going to be like, but yet he's obedient to the Lord? And so we pick up in Genesis uh, chapter 45, verse 1. It says, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. So he sends all the Egyptians, all the servants, anybody else that was with him, sends them out, and he's just with the brothers. At this point, they still don't know who he is. And listen to verse 2. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Uh, That's some pretty loud weeping. I mean, he is moved by what's going on here. Verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Yeah, you can imagine how scared they were. I mean, they sold him in here. And now, in the entire world, he's the second in command. I mean, just like that, he could have had them put to death. So they're terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near I'm Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt, as if they needed reminding of what they had already done. (laughs) Verse 5, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Isn't it interesting with a forgiving heart that he has a complete different outlook on life? For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Verse 8. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here. Wow. All of this that he had gone through. They were the ones that had sold him into slavery. And yet he has the ability to look them in the eyes and say, you didn't send me here. But God did. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over the land of Egypt. How many of you know God can take a mistake, God can take a sin, and he can do whatever he wants with it? Now, God did not predestine, God God does not make us sin but God can take anything he wants and use it for his glory and his honor. He could take an old messed up guy that's done all kinds of things and he can turn that old boy around and he can use him to be a shining light for Jesus. That's amazing that God would choose to use you and I like that. But what happens is oftentimes, and he talks about this some in the book, but as I've been reading and praying about it, what happens is when bitterness creeps in, it really fogs and clouds our minds. We can't see through it. If he would not have released his brothers and totally forgiven them, he would not have been able to see what God was up to. But because he released them, he totally forgave them, and he allowed them to just say, look, brothers, this wasn't of you. God had a plan, and God had a purpose, and God utilized what you meant for evil for good. He had a clear mind, and he really saw it through spiritual eyes. It's amazing. Now, I I don't have some glasses I can put on and see spiritually, but every once in a while, I feel like the Lord just gives me a glimpse of something, and I'm like, wow. I remember a guy in Talladega, Alabama, where my dad pastored at, and I would play basketball on the weekends. There were three uh, community centers in the town of Talladega, and it was a big basketball city. And so we would go around and we would play and there was different groups and I would spend time every Saturday, I'd spend a couple hours here and there and there and I'd go around. So I met a lot of guys and I remember a guy that was obviously a drug addict, he had the most profane mouth I had ever heard, he was always talking extremely immoral And I remember this guy and thinking, I'm just going to stay as far away from him as I can. But I remember my dad never could. (laughs) He's always drawn to him. He's always sharing the gospel. I remember him getting saved. And I can remember the same guy coming to those gyms to play basketball, and, and God began to work on him and change him. And I can remember it was almost as if, I remember praying one day and saying, Lord, I've never seen anything like this. But It was almost as if the Lord had let me see just these scales be taken off this guy's eyes. And it was almost as if when he walked in the gym prior to that, I saw this dirty, nasty guy, and now I saw this clean vessel that God was using. It was amazing. And I think when Joseph released them and totally forgave them, he had this this complete clear mind, and he had these clear eyes to be able to see what God was up to. So I want to give you a couple things here real quick, just from this passage, and then we're going to look at a couple things in the book. Number one from this passage, forgiveness is difficult. But you think about this. This is not three months after he had been sold into slavery. Joseph had had years to work through this, right? You know, when someone just, you know, takes the last piece of cake and it was yours, you can get over that pretty quickly, right? You just go buy another cake. You you could forget. But man, when someone steals somebody or somebody hurts you, or somebody hurts somebody you love dearly, it's a little bit more difficult. Or when somebody stabs you in the back, not physically with a knife, but maybe in, a, in, in business. Or maybe, uh, uh, I, I was talking to a guy just yesterday, uh, not here at the church, I, I met him uh, over at Goodwill of all places. I was over there looking at something, and, and I was talking to this guy, and uh, he, said, I, he said, did you shop here often? And I said, you know, every once in a while, I just pop in. I had a few minutes, and I was close by, so I popped in, and he, I said, do you shop here often? And he said, well, ever since I lost my job, and this guy just went on a rampage. I didn't even ask him any questions about losing his job and how his best friend that he was in business with had stabbed him in the back, and he, he tells me all this stuff, and I'm thinking, wow. And so we began talking about it, and I said, well, have you been able to forgive him? And he used some very colorful words about how not only had he not forgiven him, he was never going to forgive him. And it opened up an opportunity to talk about this book, but I was just reminded that forgiveness is difficult. And apart from Jesus Christ, it is almost impossible. Now, we could say maybe the words... But what happens is so often, especially in our culture today when we're dealing with counselors and therapists that aren't focused on God's word and coming from a biblical worldview, what they're looking for is behavior modification, not heart change. You see, when we talk about heart change, we're talking about heart transformation. God would take and transform your heart, and the behaviors will follow that. But the issue is, if you're just focused on changing the behaviors and the heart, there's been no heart change, you're going to revert back when you get in a tough spot. And so I think for a lot of people, it's very difficult. When I was talking to this guy at Goodwill yesterday, I thought to myself, this guy can't forgive because he doesn't know how much he's been forgiven already. And so forgiveness is difficult. Second thing we see in this passage, and there's all kinds of things we see, but forgiveness involves a heart change. I just talked about it. It's a heart change. You have to take that and give it over to the Lord. You got to give it over to the Lord. I had breakfast with two pastors that are at other churches this morning. We were praying for harvest and we coached a little basketball team together that are all of three of our boys play on. And so we were praying for the boys on our team. And and so that, <clears throat> then we're just talking through some things and one of them said, you know, as I was teaching some students the other day, I was reminding them that their identity is not in their school, it's not in their family name, it's not in their the way they're built, it is in Jesus Christ. And when your identity's in Christ, he said, here's the deal, when someone comes at you and they say something, you're a terrible person or whatever, he said, I just take that and I go back to my prayer closet and I say, hey Lord, so and so said this yesterday, And he said, I just lay it at his feet. And then if the Lord comes back and says, you know what? There's some truth to what they said. You are a very arrogant person. He said, then I got to turn around and deal with it. He said, but sometimes that's just the devil at work. And the Lord will say, don't worry about that person. You just keep following me. And I thought, there's a guy that gets it. His identity is in Christ. And he's able to have a clean heart and forgive. So forgiveness involves a heart change. Joseph, I'm sure, did not always feel the same way as in this passage probably right there at the beginning. You, you, you think when he was thrown down in that hole in the ground, he was like, oh, I forgive you guys, everything's cool. Or what happens when they, he actually saw the money changing hands and him getting locked up or tied up, and he's actually getting shipped off. Hey guys, I forgive you, joke's over. I, 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 I'm sure that this was a process, but it takes a heart change. Forgiveness is freeing though. You see, Joseph was able to get to a point where when he looked at his brothers, he could love them. He had love for him, and he was so. It was so freeing for him that he says, "Hey, listen. He's not saying I'm not saying what you did was right. I'm not saying what you did was good. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying everything about what you did was. But here's the deal: I forgive you. Because God had a plan. God had a plan. So it's freeing. And the last thing is, forgiveness changes thinking." It changes the way you think. When you forgive somebody, I'll be honest with you, there was a guy for a few years I, I really struggled to forgive, and every time I saw him, every time I saw something that reminded me of him, my thinking got bad again. <laughs> I was at the, a game a couple weeks ago, actually last week, my daughter was playing, and if you ever want to really have your blood pressure rise and really get frustrated, go to a 10 year old, 10 and under girls basketball game. And so I'm over on the sideline just yelling and yelling, you know, cheering, cheering, cheering. All of a sudden, the referee made the worst call in the history of basketball. All right, you know what I'm talking about? And I, I jumped up, and, and, and I, I, I wasn't ugly by my tone, but I just let the guy know. Mr. I said, Mr. Referee, so I showed him honor, okay? I'm trying to justify it here, okay? I showed him honor. I said, Mr. Referee, I said, that's possibly one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my entire life. I sat back down. My mother-in-law, my, my wife's sitting here. My mother-in-law's sitting over there. I turned to my mother-in-law and my wife. I said, I'm about to get in the flesh. My mother-in-law said, you did 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and I thought, boy, she is right. She is right. But you know what? That referee's going to make mistakes. I got to just forgive it and move on. There's a lot of game to be played. You see, when you're able to forgive, it changes your thinking. And when you start to change your thinking, you start to change your vocabulary and the way you respond to situations. So I think about Joseph, and I think about everything he went through, and then we come to this verse at the end, in Genesis chapter 50, it's verse 20, and Joseph said, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. How many of you know when you go through something really difficult, you can grow through that? And you could come out on the other side a much better man because of it if you choose to look at it the right way. And what Joseph was able to do here by forgiving, he was able to walk out on the other side and being able to look at it with a godly mindset. So when we're looking at this book, he says on page 20, we're going to tie all this together in just a moment, he says, totally forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean we want to spend our vacation with them, But it does mean that we release the bitterness from our hearts concerning what they've done. I heard a guy say it like this one time. He said, you know, he was a comedian, but he said, uh, he said, how many of y'all have those family members you would cry at their funeral, but you do not want to go on vacation with them? Those type of family members? And you've tricked ourselves into thinking, well, if we get really close, we have to go on vacation, we have to spend all our family times together, we have to go to Christmas. Not necessarily. When we talk about forgiveness, he says, it doesn't mean that you're going to spend every waking moment with this person, but what it does mean is that in your heart, you're going to hold no bitterness towards this person. You're going to totally release them from what they've done to you. And so what he does say in this next couple pages, and this is the one reason that I appreciated the book so much, was he said, in order for us to talk about what total forgiveness is, we need to spend some time talking about what total forgiveness isn't most books will give you a one, two, three step on how to do something. We all like that. We like bullet points. We like one, two, threes. We like to be able to look at something and say, this is how I get from here to here. But sometimes we need to look and say, okay, that's what it isn't in order to understand what it is. And so we're gonna look at this just for a moment. He says, what total forgiveness is not, he says, number one, it's not approval of what they did. When you totally forgive somebody, you don't say what you did was right. Okay? He said, you just got to release it. It's not approval of what they did. Number two, he says, it's not excusing what they did. In other words, hey, I'm going to forgive you. I'm not excusing what you did, but I, you did it, and I'm completely forgiving you. And by the way, is this not how we want to be treated if we harm or offend somebody else? He says, number three, justifying what they did. When you totally forgive them, it doesn't justify what they've done. If there's a criminal who has done something, he talks about this. There's a criminal that has raped somebody. You can totally forgive that person, but still testify against them and not justify what they've done and release them to just go back and do it again. You could still totally forgive them without, completely just, without justifying what they did. Number four, he said, pardoning what they did. There are still consequences. There's still consequences to what they did. If somebody hurts you badly and it's, it's really broken the relationship and you've spent some time away from each other, you could get to a point where you totally forgive them, but there may still be consequences of that relationship is never going to go back to what it was before. And sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, well, if I do forgive, I've got to go back to how things were. That's not necessarily true. I mean, look at Joseph. He still loved his brothers, but he was still over them. He was still second in command. The relationship didn't just go back to right where it was. There were still consequences for sin. He says, number five, reconciliation. Just because you totally forgive someone doesn't mean there's going to be reconciliation. And one of the reasons that is true is because reconciliation takes two people. See, you could totally forgive somebody even if they haven't said they're sorry. Sorry. You could totally forgive somebody even if they don't even realize they've hurt you. doesn't mean that it's reconciled because it takes both people to do that. And sometimes we'll trick ourselves into thinking, well, if I do that, it's got to be reconciled. Everything's got to go back to normal. Not necessarily. You could totally forgive and release somebody without having to do that. He says, number six, denying what they did. It doesn't, when you totally forgive, it doesn't just necessarily mean, well, I just, I'm just, i just going to put that away and, and, and it's gone from our mind. How many of you know, uh, I mean, we pretty much remember things that have happened to us, especially big things. And it's really difficult. It's not that we're going to deny what happened. There's still, It's still a reality. There's still consequences of that. He said it does not mean that we're going to be blind to what happened. For instance, I was... Meeting with a guy uh, a couple years ago, and he was a, a childhood friend of mine. And he had confided in me that his uncle had, uh, I'm just, just going to shoot you straight, had molested him as a child. And he said, I've just gotten to my, a place in my life uh, in my mid-30s that I, I've actually really forgiven him. And he said, I actually saw him a couple months ago. And he said, it was the first time in my life that I saw him, and I didn't have hatred for him. He said, the Lord's allowed me to work through that. But here's what else he said. He said, But you better believe I don't let my kids be around him. There's been no change in his life. He has not come and apologized to me. He's not come and cried out and said, Please forgive me for what happened. So he said, I'm not gonna turn this, is exactly said, I'm not gonna turn a blind eye to who he is, but I can forgive him for what he's done. Guys, there's a whole lot in that statement. There's a whole lot in that statement. So you don't become blind to what happened. Number eight, forgetting. It doesn't necessarily mean just because you forgive something that you're going to forget it. I pray all the time that the Lord will allow me to forget things. I'm sure you have seen something on a computer or phone, possibly just by accident. I pray, Lord, I don't want that image in my mind. I'm sure you've heard language from a movie or someone else or maybe the guys you work around. I don't want that in my mind. Lord, let me forget that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to let that marinate in my mind. I don't want to let that be a part of who I am. But the reality is just because you forgive somebody doesn't necessarily mean you're going to forget it. Number nine, it does not mean that you're refusing to take the wrong seriously. He gives a story of a woman in here that had been raped, and she had to go to court and testify against the man. And she was meeting with with, uh, R.T. Kendall and and this other guy, and, and she said that she was able to totally forgive him and she was able to stand on the platform and just deliver facts of what happened. And that guy was prosecuted and he was put away. She said, but I have no hard feelings or hatred for him. Can I just make a statement? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And I'm pretty sure if he can do it for that lady, he can do it for every one of us in this room. And then number 10, he says, total forgiveness is not pretending you weren't hurt. See, guys, I think these are things we need to put in the back of our mind because a lot of times we say, I can't forgive them because of this, and some of these things are in our mind. So I want you to take take a couple minutes around the table, and I want you to put which one of these have you believed you would have to do to truly forgive. Maybe the devil's used that as a ploy. I'm going to put them back on the screen, all 10 of them. But which one of these have you thought, man, if I forgive, I mean, we got to go to lunch together. we got to sit across from the christmas table together or i have to forget or i have to just deny what they did or i have to turn a blind eye satan is using some of these things i think and dr Kendall talks about it in his book of holding people back from truly forgiving so just take two or three minutes around your table discuss that for a moment and then we'll come back together all right guys <clears throat> i gotta read you this text message i was just telling the story about standing up and and uh letting the referee know how i felt and uh Our administrative pastor, Brother David Coombs, is in the room, and he texted me. So I'm hoping I still have a job tomorrow. He says, uh, now I understand why Bellevue has a hard time getting referees. It's all the Bellevue parents. So uh, Jeremy's one of our referees, and he's saying amen right there. So uh, I had to repent. I'm not going to lie. I had to repent of that. Well, he talks about what total forgiveness is not. Now he switches in this chapter He talks about what total forgiveness is, and then he's going to spend some time over the next few chapters as we walk along next week. Next week, we'll look at chapter two and then three and so forth, of building some steps of how we're going to get to that place where we can totally forgive. And so what total forgiveness is, number one, he says, being aware of what someone has done and still forgiving them, okay? What total forgiveness is, you're aware, hey, I know what you've done. I mean, Joseph was at that place, he hadn't forgotten what his brothers had done to him, but yet he was still able to offer this forgiveness, okay? So that's, that's number one. Number two, he says, choosing to keep no record of wrongs. This is a tough one. Because it's amazing when I sit sometimes in uh, marriage counseling how the two of those people are, can become historians. I mean, I, I've sat there before, and they've been married 12 years, and the lady said, do you remember, you remember in 2007?" You remember what you did October 12th? You, remember, you know exactly what you said to me. I'm thinking, how in the world is your mind that sharp, okay, first of all? And second of all, why it, life's too short. I mean, this is the person you stood in front of God and said, I want to spend the rest of my life with and made a covenant. And you're keeping it. Don't keep a record of wrongs. And that's why Brother, Sin's, Brother, Brother Steve says, fess them as you do them, don't bunch them. In other words, when you sin against God, just confess it. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. If you spend some time with the Lord, when you sin, he talks to you about it right then. How many of you have been in the middle of sin thinking, oh boy. How many of you have been in the middle of saying something and you're trying to pull it back in and you're already in your mind saying, Lord, forgive me, I, I just can't stop it. I mean, that, that, that's, how, that's how it is. He, and so Brother Steve says, just confess it. Confess to the Lord that confessed that person. If you said something, just confess it. Don't let all that stuff bunch up. That's, that's how a lot of problems are caused. And so he says, don't keep a record of wrongs. He says, uh, total forgiveness is refusing to punish that person. That's a big one, guys. Because how often have you either said it, thought it, or have at least heard it from somebody else if I don't forgive them? It punishes them. It punishes them. The Bible says that we're not to worry about that stuff, that God will take care of that. Don't worry about that. Let God take care of that. Lay that at the Lord's feet. Let him deal with that. You don't do the punishing. Let God deal with them. Let God deal with them in his time. What if Joseph had gotten so big in Egypt that he would have turned around and got back and prosecuted his brothers or tried to take matters in his own hands? He didn't have to do that. As a matter of fact, look at what they had to walk through to even get their back to Joseph so that he could forgive them. They were starving to death. They were fighting for their families to even make it. They were walking through something. They thought, we don't know if we're going to make it. They were were walking through stuff. So don't worry about that. Let God take care of that. He says total forgiveness is not telling what they did. Guys, you ought to spend some time. He, He breaks it down in this book if you've got it. With each one of these, it's just a paragraph or two about each one. You need to go if you've got the book. If you don't have the book, I'd be more than happy to let you look at this one or take a picture of it. But you need to spend some time looking at that because what happens is, and we have tricked ourselves into thinking, we need people to vent to. And so what we do is we have these four, five, six, ten, twelve 10, 12 people that we're not gossiping, we're just venting about what's happened. But what happens is when you begin to share with with this guy, what this guy's done to you, now not only does it affect your relationship, but every time he sees him, he's thinking differently about him. You see, when you totally forgive somebody, you don't have to let anybody know. That's hard. Because we think we need to update people. Now, where this becomes not true is, I mean, if it's something illegal, if there's something that needs to be taken care of, like my friend that I talked about I've been molested, that had to be reported and taken care of, that's different. But if somebody says something ugly to you, you don't need to go tell this person, this person, and this person. I tell my wife everything. All right? I believe we're to be open. We talk everything finances. We talk about everything that's going on in our life. But there are some things you ever hear something about somebody you think, wow, I, I just didn't know that about that person. That really surprised me. There's just some things I just don't tell her. Now, I'm not trying to hide anything from her. But when she sees that, I don't want her to think differently of them. I don't think she needs to carry it. I don't want to carry it, to be honest with you. But I don't want her to have to carry that. And so I want to protect her from that. We want to protect not only the person that's hurt us, but we want to protect the other people that we're around. So by not telling what they did. And what total forgiveness is, it's being merciful. Showing them mercy. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy on our lives? My word, if we got what we deserved, it'd be ugly. He says what total forgiveness is, is gracious. gracious. Being gracious. He says, total forgiveness is an inner condition. It starts with the heart. And that's why I was saying earlier that it's a change of heart. It's a transformation. It's God doing the work in you and then it coming out of you. He says, it's an absence of bitterness. I love that description of total forgiveness. It's an absent, absence of bitterness. There's no bitterness in me. Now, here's one. When I read it, it surprised me, and then I read his description on this. It's forgiving God. You say, well, I don't have any hard feelings towards God. I don't, I, well, when we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we talked about this in Life Group on Sunday. Isn't it interesting? Adam's first response to God was blaming God and Eve. Not only did he say, it's the woman, but it's the woman you gave me. I would imagine that there were some conversations between Joseph and the Lord at some point says, all right, Lord, <laughs> why are you punishing me? And he could have very easily gotten bitter towards the Lord. And then lastly, he says, what total forgiveness is, is forgiving ourselves. And guys, he says in this chapter, he says, we're going to talk a lot more about that in a later chapter. Many of you talked with me afterwards last week about forgiving ourselves and we're going to deal with that and talk about that so here's the last table discussion i want you to discuss around your table is which one of these seems to be your biggest struggle in the forgiving process because by the way it is a process it is a process there's some things it's just easy there's other things you say i'm gonna have to pray about this i'm gonna have to think about it i'm gonna have to work through this so which one of these seems to be your biggest struggle in the forgiving process there's the 10 of them Take five or six minutes, discuss that, and then I've got one more exercise for us to do, and we'll be done. All right, guys, let's do one more thing together. I know that uh, if you've been around very, very long at all, you've, you've heard Brother Steve talk about his prayer cards. And uh, he's got all kinds, of, he's got stacks of these prayer cards, people he's prayed for over the years, verses he's prayed, and all that. And so uh, he challenged some of us on staff to, to begin doing this at the beginning of the year. And, and it's something I've been trying to do, uh, just praying through these cards and writing some things on some cards and, and uh, just trying to carry them with me. Now, what I haven't figured out, he'll, he'll carry a stack that big. I haven't figured out where to carry them yet. So I may have to get a satchel or something. I, sometimes he'll just pull out a stack. You're like, where did those come from? Uh, and he, he's just praying through these. I mean, I've seen him in the middle of you know, just uh, stuff going on everywhere. He's just sitting over there just praying through his cards, praying through his cards, praying through his cards. It's a plan that he's got in place so that he doesn't forget some of the things God's called him to pray about. How many of you know if you don't have a plan, you're in trouble? I told my wife one time, we're going on vacation. She said, where are going? I said, I don't know. We're just going to make it up as we go. She said, that ain't going to happen. I said, no, it'd be fine. We'll just get in the car. And, and it didn't happen. I'll be honest with you. So, uh, Because we didn't have a plan. We had to sit down and get us a plan. And so I don't know what you have. Uh, It's something we can provide for you. I thought about putting these on the tables tonight, but I don't want to just add one more thing for you to try to just add to your schedules. If it's something you would like, uh, if you want to let me know, you can respond to the email or something and say, hey, I'd like some of those prayer cards. We can get them for you. But what I have done on the tables is just a blank card. So I want everybody to get one of those blank cards. And what I want you to do with this card is I want you to either right now at the table... I want you to pray about either the person that you've been struggling to forgive, which could be yourself. Maybe you've hurt some people in your life and you've just struggled to forgive yourself. Maybe you just write me on there. Maybe it's somebody you used to work with and you write the name John on there. I don't know. And maybe you say, well, what if somebody sees it? Maybe just write the, the first initial of the name. But I, I want you to write down on this card or take it blank if you're still saying, Lord, I don't think there's anybody in my life I've never forgiven, but, but, but if there is, I want to know. Uh, so I want you to take that card. I want you to write their name on it. And then I want you to do something with it. I want you to take your wallet, and, I want you to, and I'm going to write on mine in just a second. I want you to put it right at the front of your wallet right there. Just like that. I don't know what kind of wallet you have, but maybe it's right when you open up. Put it in front of your, your, your debit card or whatever you use. But I want you to put it there, and every time you open that, if you've written somebody's name on there, I just want you to say, Lord. Let's, let's say if, if the name's John's written on there. I want you to say, Lord, I don't know where John is, but I pray right now you'll bless him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. That's all I want you to do. This next week, next two weeks, Every time you see that card, I just want you to say, Lord, maybe it's yourself. Lord, I pray you'll bless me. I'm struggling to forgive myself. I pray you'll help me and encourage me to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. And you know, by the way, how many of you know, you could pray with your eyes open. You know, if you're checking out a line at Kroger and you're, you're paying, you don't have to say, excuse me, i got to pray for my card real quick. You could just do that right there. You could be driving down the road. Don't close your eyes. You can just pray, okay? <laughs> Keep them open. But you can just pray. That's one of the best times to pray. And I want to encourage you to put a name on there. And if you don't have one, I want you to pray this week that God will give you a name if there's somebody in your life. And every time you see it this week, I'm going to write my name right now on there. Every time you see it this week, I just want you to pray that God will bless that person. Sometimes that's difficult, but I want you to do it. And then what I want you to do is around the table, okay? I don't want you to share that name because it may be super personal. It may be the person beside you. They may know the person. It may be your spouse. I don't want you to share that, but I just want somebody at the table to pray for each guy around that table that whoever wrote they, what, what, whatever name they wrote down on that card, I think I, I, think I put this on a slide, uh, pray over each other that the Lord would give the heart and courage to forgive that person they wrote on their card. That's what I want you to pray over each other right there. Now, I, you could get in groups of two, and just each one of you pray. Some of you are sitting at the table saying, I don't want to pray for anybody. That's okay. You're not going to pray. That's okay. Somebody at your table, just pray. Take your name, write it down, put it in your wallet before you leave, and then I want someone to pray at the table. Ready, set, Go.